0: Yeah, actually, during the week, I, I, I was reminded one morning when I woke up, I thought, sure, we, we're 12 years this weekend. I mean, I know not exactly to the day, um, I think it's the 27th or something. But uh, so, you know, I asked Shams just to, you know, why not? You know, we, we say happy birthday for many things. And so, uh, just wanted to light a candle because Jesus is the light that came into the world. And, and it's the way we celebrate on a cake I'm not going to blow it out I'm actually going to just leave it to, to burn because um, it's, the, it's the light of God and the faithfulness of God and so before, we even, before I even start preaching I just wanted to just give God thanks and give God praise for His faithfulness um, you know, He birthed Life House Church before the creation of this world in His heart and uh, I don't know if I was the first and Louise and I were the first to, to take that on I don't know You know, Ella was only six months old when we planted the church, and now she's uh, 12 going on 40. My baby. (laughs) Anyway, I had this preach planned. It was a great preach. It was about how God led me in the context of the But God series around salvation and the grace of God. And... uh, the praise would be that, that uh, you know I believed that my salvation was something that I could lose. And God took me on a journey showing the imperishable seed of the gospel of grace that was, has been implanted in our hearts through salvation, through Jesus' work on the cross. And I was going to describe and give you my testimony and my journey around that. And I was arrested last week that... Uh, I I felt like we needed encouragement as a community, as a country, as whoever's going to be listening to this online. I pray that this morning would be an encouragement to you. And what is it? It's that the Psalms are a source of encouragement through difficult and troubled times. And it's like it's amazing how these texts have comforted so many of God's people throughout the ages. That these Psalms lift us above our circumstances and they help us focus on who God is, who we are in God, and uh, what God is going to do. And so let's, without further ado, ado, adieu, do, ado, ado. psalm 11. Let's have a look. And I'm not going to go through, you know, every single little bits and pieces of what, what, is, what each of these psalms are going to do. But I'm going to take you through four or five psalms, excerpts of the psalms. Number one, psalm 11. In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to the mountains? For look, the wicked bend their bows and they set their arrows against the strings to shoot them from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. And in this context, what we see is we see King David, his counselors or his advisors come to him and they say to him, listen, everything's, it's a mess. The foundations are being destroyed. There are um, assassins that have just gone into the temple courts They are coming. There's a a coup that's happening. I mean, doesn't that ring true about what happened a few weeks ago? Um, And actually, the only thing you can do is to run. Get out of town, buddy. You're in trouble. They are coming to get you. Um, David disagrees with them. And right up front, he says, no, 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 no. The Lord is my refuge. And if you actually go read some of the other translations, what David says is, I've already fled to God. I'm already hiding myself in God. There's no place to go but to Him. And so I'm not running. And I love David's Throughout, throughout the Psalms, throughout the story of David, David is a phenomenal example of somebody who continued, no matter what the circumstances were, whether Saul was pursuing him, whether he got back to Ziklag and his, his whole family had been taken by the Amalekites, or, or whether or not his son had just died, what he did was he, he didn't run away from God. He ran, always ran to God. He ran in the context of the storm, and God was found in the storm, not running away from the storm. And he strengthened himself in God. And what I love about this text is it gives us two um, helpful practical things. One for the mind and one for the heart. And the first one is for the mind. And he says the Lord is on his heavenly throne. What does that mean? Well, he's reminding us that God is in charge. God is ruling the world. God has a plan. God is the one who controls all things. He is the creator. He is the alpha and the omega. He knows the beginning from the end. And he is the one who is orchestrating and bringing all of these things into a, a context of good for humanity. I think we, in our modern day understanding, I think we think that we're in control. And I gave this example, I think, before the meeting last week. It's like this little child, and have you ever seen those, those uh, car steering wheels for little kids that they stick onto the dashboard, and the kid thinks that he's driving the car? Or maybe you've gone into you know, one of the, uh, the big stores, and you, you get these push carts where the kid's got these steering wheels in the push cart, but... <laughs> They're not controlling where it's going. The person who's either pushing the cart or who's driving the car—your parents—they're the ones who are actually driving the car. But we think we're like this little child that we're actually directing the car. But God is the one who's directing the ways of humanity and steering all of us into the destiny that He wants us. In the same way that we think we're in control, what we need is—we think God's when we—let me try that again. When we, think that God, when we believe that God is in control, we actually have to have a, a reasonable amount of humility. Otherwise, there's no consolation to our souls. So what, well, let me give you an example. I mean, Jordan's here, um, but when he was about 15 or 16, we had this opportunity for him to go to Red Hill School. Now, Red Hill is very well known for its academics um, and we were given this opportunity for Jordan, and Jordan had spent his whole life. He was born on the property of New Covenant Church, Bryanston, and King's College. Um, he went to Little Flock, kind of triple nought or whatever, all the way through up to grade 10. And in his grade 10 year, here comes this opportunity to go to Red Hill. And you can imagine, all his friends, he's got his last two years of school, he's got, he probably would have been in leadership and prefects and all of those kind of things. He knows the environment, he's got all his mates. And when we sat down and spoke to him, he's like, Dad, I don't know if I want to do this. And I said, Jordan, okay, let's stop and let's look at what the benefits are going to be. Let's look at why we're doing this and why we're not doing this. And I expressed to him, actually, this is going to be two tough years because you're going to miss out on certain things. But actually, it's going to set you up for university. There's going to be a cost that you're going to pay now, but you will reap the benefits in the years to come. And we realized that Great Hill School had something for Jordan academically that King's College could never give him. And that's not to push King's College down into anything, but Red Hill was just at a level that very few schools are in our area. And so we were given these these amazing scholarships for our kids, for both Jenna and Jordan. But for Jordan in particular, he went through these two years, but those two years set him up for university that he smashed first year and got a whole bunch of of firsts, etc. Now in the same way, but even in a greater way, think of what God and, and the way God does things. That we don't really know what's going on, but God is saying, I've actually got a plan. And in the long run, everything is going to work out for your good and for my glory. Let me say that again. In the long run, God is telling us that everything will work for our good and for His glory if we trust in Him and we know that He is on the throne. You see, we don't fully understand or grasp all of this stuff. Just like a child or a teenager in Jordan's example didn't fully understand the implications of what was going to happen. But what, we, what Jordan did and what we can follow in that example is to humble ourselves and say, like Jordan said, okay, Dad, Mom, I don't fully understand this, but I know you've, you've been around a bit longer than me. You know more than I know, and so I'm going to humbly submit into what you think I should be doing. And he did that, and now he looks back and goes, actually, it was the best decision we made. How much more the creator of this world How much more, if we are willing to humble ourselves and say, God, we don't know what's going on. We don't know why what happened last uh, two weeks ago in South Africa. We don't know why all of this stuff's happening, and these corrupt leaders, and and, and the pandemic, and all of these things. But what we do know is God is in, in charge. And as a result of that, He is on His heavenly throne. And it helps us calm our minds. It helps me calm my mind when I think of all the possibilities of what can go wrong. Secondly, what He does is He speaks to our hearts. He says, God is in His holy temple. You see, we think that a temple is a place that we go to. It's a structure. But actually, the ancient understanding is that it's a residence or place for the presence of God. In principle, what it's talking about is a sacred place where God sets apart for His presence to come. It's where heaven meets earth. We did a whole series on this a little while ago. It's where we fellowship with God. In Psalm 27, David says he goes to the temple to behold the beauty of the Lord. And so in the Old Testament, though, they could never behold his glory because his glory was held behind the Holy of Holies, behind this big tent in the tabernacle or in the temple where the the high priest could only go in once a year to give the atoning sacrifice on Yom Kippur. And he would come and he would take the blood of the the lamb and he would sprinkle it there and, and he would be the only one to experience the glory of God. They couldn't really experience who God was. And know what had actually happened. But the beautiful thing is that Jesus, John chapter 1, tells us. It says the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory and the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and full of truth. So Jesus came and in John chapter 2, He tells us, He says to them, You can destroy this temple, but in three days I'll rebuild it. Why? Because He was talking about His body. He was talking about the fact that he was now the temple. He was going to bridge humanity and the heavenlies in terms of the deity of God. He was the great high priest. He was the sacrifice. He would pay the penalty for our sins. And that curtain was ripped from top to bottom. And now what happens is his presence comes out and we're able to know his presence. We're able to know Jesus Christ himself. And even more, Jesus leaves Project Planet Earth and guess what he does? He places Holy Spirit inside of us. And it says in 1 Corinthians, do you not know that you are the temple of God where the the Spirit of God dwells? Now think about what has just happened there. Before God and the the glory of God, like Moses says, God, show me your glory. And God says, no ways. If I show you my glory, you're dead, bud. Turn your back and let me let my glory come over you. Now what we have is we have the opportunity to come. And like what was said this morning, before our prayer time is People are missing just the, 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 the corporate, the collective worship. That when we come in and we worship together, there is something, that transaction, the glory of God falls. Not because of the place, but because of what we have in our hearts. And yes, to a large extent, we can do that on our own. But when we do that in community, something transacts that is unlike anything else that the Old Testament believers never had the privilege of experiencing. So unlike this, the throne of God, which is kind of this infinitely remote thing, what we have is the temple of God, the presence of God within us through the through Holy Spirit. So if we have fellowship with God in our hearts, if we understand the sovereignty of God, that He is in charge, then what happens is both our minds and our hearts are settled and we can face anything no matter what the circumstances. Okay, now you might say, okay Gary, but how do we do this? Well, let's go to the next Psalm, Psalm 42. Talk to yourself, don't listen to yourself. Let's go. Psalm 42 says, My tears have been my food, day and night. While people say to me all day long, Where is your God? I've had that. I've had a number of people through my business dealings in terms of uh, what I, where I'm working, call me up or say something. Where is God in all of this? Why is God doing this? Why is there suffering and pain in this world? Etc. Etc. I'm not going to go into all of those right now, but that's what's happening in our world today. These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of the Lord under the protection of the, of the Mighty One, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. There you go. Bruce, there's your festive throng. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within, within me. Therefore, I will remember you, God. And so there's this whole thing, clearly the psalmist who's, who's, who's penning this, he's experiencing this kind of despondency, this despair, this, this sadness, or whatever it might be. Many of us are experiencing sadness and despondency, whether it's the lockdowns, and we are trusting that, that our president releases churches to meet next week so we can see you guys, and we can, we can get together and worship together and do all of those things maybe it's because of the civil unrest, especially in the KZN areas. They were hit really badly. Yes, to some extent in Gauteng, but oh my goodness, just speaking to mates in KZN, it was hectic. Maybe it's the corrupt leaders. Maybe you've lost a loved one over this time through COVID, through other, other means or other diseases or whatever it might be. What do we do with all of that? Well, the psalmist gives us three things that we can do. We can be real and pour out our soul, as he says. We can speak to ourselves. And we can reorder our hopes. So let's have a look at each one of those things. And be real and pour out your soul. This is really about getting in touch, in touch with your feelings. Guys, in particular. <laughs> Here's the feeling wheel. Just this week, something happened. And I, and yes, I, don't know, I, was, I didn't know what I was feeling. I, I was mad. I was angry. I, was, I didn't know what it was. But this kind of stuff helps me. When I go into it and I go, actually, I'm frustrated. I'm so frustrated right now, and that's why I'm feeling the madness and the, the, the anger that's rising up inside of me. We need to listen to what we're feeling because our feelings are actually gifts of God, and they're gifts from God. Can I say? And when we get in touch with them, we start to understand what we're feeling, and we're able to then deal with these feelings that we have. Speak to yourself. You know, the thing is, is that you know when we pray. Let me try this again. The psalmist here is not praying to God. He's not speaking to God. He's not even speaking about his readers. He's actually speaking to himself. He's having the self-dialogue with himself. And I came across this thing from uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones that many may know of or whatever else, and I know the writing's small. But listen to this, he says, and he's talking about this particular psalm. He says, the first thing we have to learn is what the psalmist learned. We must learn... To take ourselves in hand. It's like taking ourselves by the scruff of the neck. He's talking to himself. He's addressing himself. It is important to say that this is not the same as morbidity or introspection. We must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. In spiritual depression, we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to oneself. Am I being deliberately paradoxical? Far from it. This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that so much of your unhappiness in your life is due to the fact that you're listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? So this man stands up and he says, self, grabs him, listen for a moment. Then you must go to remind yourself of who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has placed himself to do and then on this great note, defy yourself, and dis- defy everybody else around you, defy the devil, defy the whole world, and say with this man, I shall yet praise God before he is my God. How amazing is that? And then I was chatting with Dale about what I was preaching on, and he, and he mentioned this statistic, so I went and I looked it up just to make sure that he wasn't talking rubbish, but he was right. In fact, he was even understating it. But according to the National Science Foundation, the average person Has 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts per day. Now, I think if you genderize genderize this, you probably, the men are 12,000, the women are 60,000, but of that, 80% are negative. 80% of our self talk or our self listening is negative. 95% of them are repetitive from the day before. So, can you imagine if you allow your thoughts to come up? Well, actually, then everything is going to look desperate. Everything's going to look like it's never going to change. Everything's going to look like it's all going to come to an end. It's never good enough. You're never good enough. You're not. Ugl- you're. You're ugly. You're not good-looking enough. You're not tall enough. You're not this enough. You're not that enough. You, you carry too much weight. You. You this. You that. And and what happens is as you start to repeat that, and the negative context comes into play, and we lose the ability to gain the perspective of God in the context. And the thing is, is that when we, we we are our best counselors where we don't just listen to ourselves or we talk to ourselves like the psalmist is doing. Take yourself by the scruff of the neck and say, this is what I know about God. Jesus came to Project Planet Earth as a man, as a baby, and died the most horrific death so that I could be set free. And as a result of that, (laughs) I know that whatever's going on around me is not because he doesn't love me, because he's already demonstrated that. Look what he's planning. Look what he's promised. Look what he's promised over life for us. 12 years later, I'm standing here in a building that he spoke of 12 years ago. God is faithful to all of he's promises, And by doing what, what I've just said, is we take captive the thoughts. And what we do is we start to talk to our hearts. And when we take captive those thoughts, that's what it says in Second Corinthians. It says the weapons that we fight with are not weapons of this, war, or of this world. On the contrary, they, are div- they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And we demolish every argument and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive these thoughts and we bring them into obedience of Christ. And then thirdly, we reorder our hopes. You know, Psalm 103 says, Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all His benefits. Most of God's benefits are out of this world. That was a joke. But don't forget what He's given to us now. Look at those things. When I focus on justification and what God does, when I dwell on that, I don't dwell on my past. I don't dwell on the guilt of my past. When, when I consider my sanctification and the process that I'm undergoing, I can realize that I don't need to get despondent, that I am changing when I look back and see how much I changed when I gave myself my life to God. I think of the adoption and I think of how much God loves me like a father loves and dotes over his son. And he hears me. He's not that distant father. He's not that distant God that's not, but he knows every hair on my head. He's got plans and he's got a future for me. And what about the future resurrection? Jesus' resurrection, the prototype, the first of all, that we will follow in his footsteps. That actually I don't have to worry about my aging body where it's oh being sick this last few weeks. And and you can hear from my voice, there's still a little bit there. But part of that process is okay, I'm not afraid to die. I, mean, I, don't, I don't want to miss out on my kids' lives and and be there for them, and whatever, and for my wife, and whatever, but the point is, I'm not afraid to die, because one day I will be resurrected in my new body, and there will be no more tears, there will be no more pain, there will be no more sickness, because of what Christ has done. Psalm 91 is our next one. It says, whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say, the, I will say the Lord, He is my refuge, and my fortress, and my God, in whom I will trust. He, verse 4, will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find His faithfulness will be your shield and your rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Thank you, Lord, that no one at Lifehouse has been taken by this virus. And we continue to declare that over our community. And verse 11 says, He will command His angels to guard you. In all your ways, so that you will not stub your foot against the stone. <laughs> now, I don't know about you. I love this picture. I don't know what happens after this because that wave's going to circle around and that guy's going to get smashed. But anyway, um, the, the point is is that we've got to watch how we interpret this text, because I don't know about how many of you have stubbed your toe, literally and metaphorically. I've stubbed my toe, I've banged my head, I've done a whole bunch of things. in 12 years of, of leading Lifehouse Church and before that. And so we need to make sure that we understand what God is trying to say here. And we have to look at other texts in the Bible to be able to grasp what God is saying here. Because the devil would want us to believe that nothing bad is going to happen to you if you become a Christian. How many of us know that that is absolute... I've got some Greek words for that, but I'm allowed to say them from the pulpit. The reality is, is that bad things do happen to good people. And what often happens is we believe, the devil wants us to believe that if anything bad happens to us, then God doesn't love me. I know of people that have walked away from community and walked away from church because they're not getting what they want in terms of their business, in terms of their life. And so they've rejected God because of it. God's not true to his way because he says I shouldn't stub my toe because he says that he'll do this. But we need to look in the context. So let's have a look at some other texts. Romans 8.28, we hear this spoken of so often and we know that in all things God works, and actually a lot of the translations say works together for the good. In all things God works together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. It doesn't say that all things are good. It doesn't say that all things are bad either. But it does say that all things, that God will work together for our good. For His glory and for our good, but do you notice? For those who love him, you can't love somebody from a distance. You might say that, oh, you know, I love Sir Kulisi, the captain of our rugby team, or maybe not so much today, but I loved him yesterday, not today. But the point is, is, is that we can't say that because I, I don't know the guy. I see him as a personality, but how do I love somebody? I get close to them and I spend time with them. So God is saying. That he will work all things to the good. That the best place for us to be is to be in his presence, to be with him. Why? Because Genesis 50 tells us, like someone like Joseph, who understood that over time, when he looked back, he said, gee whiz, I was sold into slavery, I was betrayed, I was accused, I was wrongly accused by um, by Potiphar's uh, um, wife and all these kind of things. I landed up in jail. All these bad things happened. But now, guys, brothers, can you not see that you intended this for evil, but God turned it for the good? If all of this hadn't happened, I wouldn't be standing here as the second in command making sure that everybody is fed and that this, uh, this famine has not ravaged the earth. And so all of these texts, what they're proving is that our best place to be, the safest place for us to be, is to be in God's presence. And we're just sang a song about putting down our idols. So many of us have got these idols Whether they are careers, whether they are family, whether it's our kids or whatever it might be. Those are our idols. And when circumstances like the pandemic hits, those things crack and crumble because they don't have the sustenance that God has. But when we put our trust in God, when we uh, make sure that we are pushing into God and we are running to Him, the fortress and great tower, then what happens then is we don't have these pseudo-messiahs that that, that we we are relying on that crumble. And then we go, what now? And then we run away from God and say, God, see, you're not there. Circumstances will break down those things. They will threaten and even take away some of those things. But God never changes. God is faithful. And it's not about loving your spouse and your child less, it's about loving God more. We often get that wrong. Oh, I mustn't, I must stop loving my child and my what? No, man, just love God more, man. To use a Joe Bidenism, come on, man. You see, the psalm is saying that the more God has of our souls, the safer we are. The more we hide ourselves in Him. He's saying He's not going to protect us from trouble, but He's going to protect us in the trouble and take us through the trouble. I go through the valley of the shadow of death. Where He does not leave me or forsake me. So He makes us safer despite the trouble. See, when we know his nature, we know we're not being punished in those moments. And as we've just read, it's like the mother hen. Here's my picture of the mother hen covering her chicks. And if you remember the text in Luke where where Jesus comes and he looks over into Jerusalem and he talks about, oh, Jerusalem, that I would be like the mother hen, that I would protect you. And and you you look at that. What does the mother hen do? On a scorching day, she provides shade for her chicks. On, On a thunderstorm, she provides a shelter from the storm. And actually when there are predators coming, she will be eaten rather than her chicks. In the same way Jesus does that for us. Jesus is the one who took the punishment that we deserved so that we could go free. He who knew no sin became sin for us that we could receive His righteousness. He kept us safe. So no matter what happens, we can trust in Him because He's already demonstrated that He has, like a mother hen, put his wings over us, that we can find refuge in them. And lastly, let's not waste our sorrows. Alexander McLaren writes a book around this. and Psalm 126 says, Restore our fortunes, Lord, like the streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. What a phenomenal principle that it's talking about, Joe. What it's saying is is that our sorrows and our tears are like seed. And when we sow those properly, we actually harvest or receive a harvest of joy. And that doesn't quite fit, does it? But it is possible to actually dump our sorrow, to actually weep, cry, and make a wail and do all kinds of stuff and have no real fruit in our lives as a result of it. And thereby, we actually waste (laughs) our sorrows. Think about a farmer. What does a farmer do with their seed? They go out and they sow it across the whole bit of the land. Imagine if the farmer had all the seed and just dumped it in one spot. Boom. What would happen? There wouldn't be much of a harvest, would there? I mean, I'm sure stuff would grow, but most of it would probably just rot and you might get a couple of little things out of it. But when we sow properly, when we understand what God wants us to do, Psalm 30 says, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. We all know, we all want, and we all hope that after this this time of weeping and sorrow and and the circumstances that we're facing, that we will come into a time of joy. But what the psalm is actually saying is that joy is actually produced by sorrow. That over a a, a length of time, if we grieve properly, if we allow the sadness and we deal with the sadness and we come before God and we are real with our feelings and we talk to ourselves and we, we take ourselves through that process, that we don't get left in this place, but actually what we do is we produce joy that comes from us, not only for ourselves, but for one another. Well, Gary, what do you mean? Well, let's look at Jesus. I mean, He is the epitome of somebody who sowed in tears, but reaped in joy, this joy of salvation for us and for God Himself. Through His agony of weeping, what He did is He stood in place and took our punishment. Through His tears, what did He do? He brought the ultimate harvest of our salvation. But when we start to consider what God has done, what Jesus has done, the incredible grief and sorrow and pain that He went through, in order to bring joy to this world, it enables me, enables you to go through our grief and our sorrow and our, our troubled and difficult times in a way that actually as we sow our tears, we will reap joy in an exponential way. And it's three ways that we do that. Number one, when I do that, I don't suffer from guilt because I know I'm not going through this because of punishment. Jesus has already taken his punishment on me, on, 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 on his shoulders. So, so I don't have that as, a, as an issue. And I know that no matter what's going on around me, and I'm going to keep saying this, no matter what you are going through, one thing you cannot say is that it's because He does not love you. Because He has already demonstrated that by dying on the cross for us and taking our sin. It helps us get over our self-pity and our anger. Because if when I look at what He went through, and I compare it with what I'm going through, I go, oh my goodness, it falls into insignificance. And actually, He suffered that so one day I would spend eternity with Him. And that Holy Spirit could come and dwell in my heart and be able to give me the courage to overcome. And lastly, I'm able to do that with patience. I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand what, what, why our country went through. I, I can surmise and we can talk about how government haven't done this and how we've still got a big poor contingent and all of those kind of things. Why is government still so corrupt? And we, we all got our own opinions. And there's some... Adages again, which I would go there. We've all got other things. The point is, is that I don't need to understand everything. All I know is that God is in control. And like he said to his disciples, can you imagine his disciples? Oh my goodness, what just happened? You're supposed to be the Messiah King, and now you're dead. (laughs) What do I do in those three days? And some of us are in Saturday. But actually Sunday is coming. And God has demonstrated that he will pull us through and it makes me patient takes away my anger, takes away my self-pity, takes away whatever guilt that I might have and the result is that I become a much more patient person in those times of suffering and I'm able to take those sorrows and that grief, to grieve properly and to sow those tears that they would then produce a harvest of righteousness after that with joy see if I keep my eyes on him if I keep Jesus as the epitome of all of what I've done, then what I'm able to do is I'm able to run to Him. I'm able to go to the Psalms as a book that actually bring consolation to my mind and to my heart because I know He's sovereign. I know Holy Spirit's inside of me. I am the temple of God. I am the portal of the kingdom. I am a portal with legs on it, as some say. I can remind myself of who God is, who I am in God, what He has done, what He has promised, how faithful He really is, I can talk to my soul and say, come on soul, grab myself by the scruff of the neck and say, this is what God is, this is who God is, this is what He's done, and this is what He's promised. And know that in the long run, God works all things to the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. I can grieve well and I can be real with my feelings, but above all, the safest place to be is my eyes locked on Him. So I want to encourage you over the season, as we fast and as we pray, let's keep our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, the one who saw the joy set before him and endured the cross for us so that we could be set free. I love what Dale's refrain was, that there would be a freedom that would come. And I saw these wild horses that were, were actually chained up to, to, to fences and being let go and just being running. And I pray that as Lifehouse Church that we would be let loose and that the wildness of the gospel and the freedom that the gospel brings would be, would be released in us over the season. That this fourth wave... That we're expecting is not a COVID wave and a wave of fear and a wave of lockdown and a wave of being held. But actually are releasing us into the byways and highways of, 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 of uh, four ways. That we would be released to take this gospel of grace to the four corners of, of four ways and beyond. And so let's pray. Let's, I want to encourage you. Join with us over this time. Let's as a community come together in a concerted effort. I've just done a, a course through CFNI just around the war songs of God. And, and when we come together, and when we get churches in the area together, there is, there is an exponential impact into the spiritual dynamic across our city. So let's get down on our knees. Let's get our time with God. Come together in the times that we've set apart. Let's keep our eyes on Him.
1: Amen. Amen, Gary. Wow guys, what a great encouragement for us during this time, especially. Awesome job, man. That was so cool. Who would have thought, eh? I love Psalm forty two. Talk to yourself. Talk to yourself. Don't listen to yourself. What statistics are those? That's fantastic. Eh? Because we've got so much negativity coming at us from the world. Talk to yourself. And what do you talk to yourself? You talk the Psalms. The Psalms is a collection of hymns. It's the Psalms. You know, I grew up, I was telling the guys in the prayer meeting earlier, I grew up in an Afrikaans community where we had NGK and AGS and all those kind of things. We made a book. It was called Psalms and Gesange. Palms. <laughs> we can do palms as well. High five. Psalms. And, and songs of God to God. And there's 150 Psalms in the book of Psalms, and they categorize into different fields. And I was just surprised this morning. There was a slide up there. Who knew, guys? Who knew that there were so many feelings? You know, I thought it was, you know, uh, get hungry, sleep, tired, repeat, kind of. Those were the, the main feelings in my, in my life. But um, they're, they're, I was just surprised. So, Leisha, you. I've got a lot of work, love. Sorry. <laughs> There's more than that. So the psalm. So w- when you talk to yourself, what are we talking to ourselves? We're talking the word of God over ourselves because that's the promise and hope that we have. Well done. So fantastic, Gary. Fantastic. Our esteemed leader. We asked you guys up front to see if there was any questions. And I do believe that we may have one You know, Gary did such a good uh, job of speaking to us about the Psalms this morning that I don't know that there's too many questions, but here's one. Mm. Okay, someone online said, can God be faithful (laughs) to non-believers or sinners, Gary? Can God be faithful to non-believers or sinners? That's an interesting one, right?
0: i'm trying to answer that because god is faithful <clears throat> so the answer uh, the overarching overarching answer is of course he is faithful um but it's, the thing is an unbeliever is not faithful to who god is and so it doesn't bring themselves into alignment with god and so it's like me saying to my kids when they were small don't go and play in the traffic stay indoors this is the safe place and as an unbeliever you're going well you're not a safe place I don't believe in what you're saying to me so I'm going to go play in the traffic and then a car hits you and you go well God's not faithful so I don't I think the question is 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 the wrong the wrong way around I don't think it's is God faithful to un, unbelievers? I think he is a faithful God but I do think that people who do not believe in who he is and, and his ways and his kingdom put themselves at risk because they're not found under the shadow of his wings. They're not found in, in, in what the cross brings, which is salvation, and that their sins have been paid for, because they haven't by faith appropriated that. So I think the question needs to be shifted around. And in, when we are faithful, filled I, I, I think we live in the faithfulness that God has provided for us.
1: Very good. Very good. a last one, I think. Um, I've got some friends in this place that, um, that are grieving right now. And I'm sure there's many people online that are in a place of lamentation and grief. So the question, Gary, is what does healthy grieving look like? What does healthy grieving look like?
0: I think it's not holding, holding back. I think it's being honest. And sometimes we need tools like that feeling well to, to be honest with where we are, to be honest with God. You look at the Psalms um, and we didn't go into some of them where David's going, gee whiz, God, what the? What are you doing? How's this going? But he always lands up coming back to the faithfulness of God. God isn't scared of your questions. Even Jesus had questions. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus felt forsaken on the cross. Sometimes we feel forsaken. That's not the truth, though. But I believe that as we push into God, through the grieving that we're feeling the loss remember jesus when he raised lazarus from the dead a couple of minutes before that he was weeping and and not not just a little kind of hollywood tear but but the sobbing because he saw what death does the ripping we were never made to die but sin entered this world and has caused the decay that it has and so jesus saw firsthand of the pain that is inflicted the tearing of losing lost ones Losing lost ones while losing loved ones. ones, Um, And so for for me, to come back to answer a bit more succinctly is, I think that grieving and sorrow and grieving properly is to be real, is to to come and to declare those things to God, to ask the questions. But actually what you will find is the more that you engage God, the question mark, maybe as big as this building, comes down to, a little question mark like that because there's a mystery to some of the stuff that we won't understand until we get into heaven and when we get into heaven it won't matter. But that question mark will be this small and God will be this big. And so sometimes the question is more about at least about the why and it's more about the who. And so I would say push into God, be honest, be real, and engage Him. And that's how you do it well because you deal with the the sorrow, you deal with the stuff. And you'll always have scars. Jesus still holds his scars in heaven today.
1: Yeah, well done. Very good. Well, folks, that comes to the end of the questions. There were a few today. So it remains but to say thank you. Thank you for being with us here in the hall, the few of us that have been here. Thank you for being online. And you want to pray? Oh, okay. Gary's going to pray for us in closing.
0: Yeah, Lord, as, we, as I lit this candle before I started preaching, thank you that you are the light of the world. Thank you as like Dale and Bron were worshipping, that you are the light that dissipates darkness. That Lord, in our grieving, we can come and grieve with you. That you will shed your light on the areas of our hearts that need to be dealt with. That you are the one that has provided salvation to us. Lord, we want to thank you for your faithfulness, that you do not change, that your foundations never erode. Everything else will fall apart around us, but you, you never change. And so as the light of the world, we we want to honor you and thank you for all that you've done. And then, Lord, to change tech, Lord, we just want to wish LifeHouse Church community a happy birthday. Thank you for your faithfulness. And I don't believe in wishing, I believe in declaring and so, to God, we declare that in the months to come, your presence will stop traffic right here. Amen. Amen. Amen.
1: <laughs> Happy birthday, LifeHouse. Thank you, Gary.